Welcome to the Payroll Podcast, the show that explores the latest insights and innovations in the world of payroll. I'm Nick Day, founder of JGA Recruitment, a specialist global payroll search firm. I'm also a qualified executive coach and a recognized Reward 300 member. And my goal for this show is clear, is to bring you expert guests and payroll leaders who are driving this industry forward. From cutting edge technologies and trends to compliance, analytics, automation, leadership strategies, and more, we're gonna cover it all on this show to help you to deliver accurate and timely payrolls across your organizations. So let's join together in raising the strategic profile of payroll worldwide. Grab your coffee or your favorite beverage and let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's September edition of Payroll Question Time. Now, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Nick Day. I'm the founder of JGA Recruitment. We're a specialist payroll recruitment agency. We are now officially international, not just in the UK, but in the US and Europe as well. I'm also the host of the Payroll Podcast. I'm a Reward 300 member, and I've been in this wonderful industry now for over 20 years. It's not as long as Simon, but it's longer than most. It's an industry I very much love and an industry that I'm very passionate about raising the profile for. And I love, of course, hosting this show, Payroll Question Time. That's enough about me. Let's, uh, Simon, if you can introduce yourself to the, to the listeners, please, today. Yeah. Hi, everyone. It's great to be with you again this afternoon and back up after the summer break. Uh, I'm sure you all had a great time. Simon Parsons. So I originally joined uh, Centrefile, as it was then, part of NatWest Bank, in 1984. So um, a few years back, oh, in fact, it wasn't 19, yeah, it was 1984. So 39 years ago, I've worked in other uh, supplies as well, uh, but I came back as chief analyst after the Ceridian takeover in 19, January 1997. And uh, we're now part of SD Works family. It's great to be back. I'm part of Reward 300, as is Nick is. Um, I've uh, had the Lifetime Achievement Award, the Strathern, in uh, 2012. Um, I have a Master of Science, Fellow of the Charles Institute of Professionals. Um, I'm really an IT guy, but with a passion for payroll. Yeah, which is absolutely going to come through. If those of you haven't met Simon before, you'll discover that during the course of today's show. Let's find out what we're going to be talking about today then. We're going to talk about parental leave rights, the HMRC self-assessment student loans, investment zones, what's the future of payroll, holiday pay updates, the SD Works Academy courses, a number of those, and there's a discount code as well. So do look out for that and I will make that available to you all because it runs out soon. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about pensions and any other hot topics or Q&As uh, that we haven't managed to cover during the course of the show, we will cover again at the end. But of course, just to reiterate that question piece, if you ask us in real time, we'll try our best to answer it in real time. We won't have to wait till the end of the show. So if you the sooner you put the question in, the sooner we can get to those answers for you. Right, well, let's jump into our first section for today then. Lots to get through. And that is, of course, handling our recent payroll updates. Uh, there's a couple here. I'm going to talk about a couple that Simon is as well. I'm going to let Simon kick this off. Uh, millions to get more power over working hours. Uh, Simon, one, if you could bring that recent update uh, to the fore. Yeah, sure. I guess this relates partly to the Carter review that happened some years. Not Carter. Um, I've got the wrong... Uh, guy now, but uh, and I've forgotten his name as well. But there was a review in government on employment rights, and uh, the Matthew uh, I've got his first name. You can see I'm great at name retention. Um, but what's happened is uh, the 
some recent private member bills have received royal assent, which will extend an element of some of the employment law review to provide additional rights. So millions to get more powers over working hours. So there's been a number of employees that for some time have had uh, one-sided flexibility. So they've not really had control of their working time. They may, as uh, ONS statistical uh, information says, work 26 hours a week on average, but uh, beyond zero hours or other types of arrangements where uh, new law is coming in. So millions of workers under the predictable term and conditions bill, which has now received, uh, received um, royal assent, will potentially have a legal right to request predictable working patterns, encouraging workers to begin conversations with their employees. So I think it's more of a be prepared. So those that think that you could have your employees come in and out whenever you like and have control, there is a little bit more power being placed into the workers' hands to say, I can't handle this unpredictability of work. I need something more predictable. And they may come in and request more uh, of a standard pattern of work. Super. I think of a couple of comments coming straight in. So we're just testing that everyone is indeed listening. And that is to say the name you're looking for, Simon, that escapes you is Matthew Taylor. That's the there one. So I thought yes. that might be helpful. Uh, also, in addition to that, the, the national minimum wage is to be extended to live-in domestic workers. What's that all about? Yes, another another private members' bill. Let me. I'll find the name of it. Um, but uh, again, it's passed. We don't know officially when the actual information will come in because there'll be a number of national minimum wage changes that we'll hear about for April 2024. Um, of course, we've got the autumn statement on the 22nd of November. So we'll hear the announcement on how national minimum wage, national living wages to rise. And also there's the original proposal that goes back some years that the age for national minimum wage would drop to 21. So uh, whether we've got this that on the agenda later, David, I can't remember. So we can always cover it again. But this is under the uh, National Minimum Wage Amendment Number 2 Regulation 2023 removes some of the conditions for family member working. So in effect, uh, th this probably relates to a couple of cases which may be close to um, considered slavery, where domestic workers living in a home treated as family members who weren't actually family members um, were exempt from national minimum wage that exemption is being removed. So they will be due national minimum wage. But there were a couple of high profile cases over the past few years, um, uh, potentially prosecuted under slavery, um, where uh, they had people in homes that uh, where they were claiming exemption under those aspects of national minimum wage law. That's ending. It doesn't end for true family members uh, that meet the certain conditions but just to make you aware that some of the family exemption um, are going. So they're, they're set out, if you want to know, under Regulation uh, 57, uh, where 57.1 defines the term work uh, and doesn't include uh, work undertaken by relations to employers, family, household. If the requirements set out in Regulation 57.2 and 57.3 are met, those are the important things to go and review. Now, hopefully that doesn't 
affect most business but if you're dealing with domestic arrangements um, etc and payment of uh, domestic type workers it may affect whereas before they were exempt they won't be come April. Super, fantastic. Well, I'll give you a little bit of an update because it's a little bit of a plug here that I'm in a live environment. I'm going to take the opportunity to uh, mention a bit of news that's occurred from the, uh, the, the world of payroll recruitment, which is uh, JGA Recruitment has launched in the US. And I say that because we are officially the first payroll recruitment agency to offer payroll-specific recruitment services in the whole of the United States. We've opened offices in Austin and in Tampa. And there are other agencies that do tech and HCM tech and HR and other bits and pieces, but no one specifically focused on payroll. So that's what we've done. Uh, you can find out more at JJ Recruitment Inc. And I mentioned it uh, .com, but I mentioned it because many of you, of course, will have US counterparts, will be part of a, a larger US corporation potentially. Uh, so if indeed, if you're familiar with JJ Recruitment in the UK and you need support recruiting payroll talent in the US, I'm delighted to say that we are the first uh, agency to ever launch such specific services in the US. And of course, hopefully that'll be an opportunity for us to really continue the work that we do to try and raise the profile of payroll, not just here in the UK, but globally as well, which is equally as important. And we're partnering with uh, Payroll Org as well, which is the biggest membership organization in the world, actually, for payroll professionals with over 30,000 members. Uh, to help with that launch process as well. So uh, if you're not familiar, I do write a lot of articles for the Payroll Org magazine. Uh, the last one, which I'll put a link for, which is about DEI and its relationship to payroll. Uh, but again, all part of our process and, and I guess uh, ambition to raise the profile of payroll globally. So I thought I'd make a little plug there for the new business. For those who haven't checked it out, do go over to jjrecruitmentinc.com and you can find out more and I'll put that in the chat. Uh, Simon, back to you. I've got Stoptober. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Yes, well, I guess it's an element of our business is planning anything for Stoptober. So Stoptober is the Stop Smoking and Good Things Happen campaign that happens annually. Uh, it probably went a bit quiet on during the COVID periods. But uh, again, there's an element of, well, just promote it because we're at the end. October arrives on uh, Sunday. Are any of you and your businesses planning on it? You can say, what's that got to do with payroll? Uh, what's that got to do with HR? Because this is just a personal matter, isn't it? But I think there's an element of the government have pushed out some, as part of the campaign, some statistics to back up the fact that we'll actually improve health rapidly by giving up smoking. And in fact, within a week, so they're saying 95% of ex-smokers see positive changes soon after quitting. So the research shows that um, uh, within two weeks, of giving up, 45% have more energy, 42% uh, feel healthier, and 42% help breathing. How does that relate to employment? I mean, a lot of that may be people who are uh, unfortunately in health conditions where they don't uh, have employment, but lots of people in employment still smoke, and they will probably benefit from those statistical basis as well. So there's an element of if that's promoted by employers, that improves, improves uh, attendance, reduces absence, reduces or increases the health of the employees so they can work longer, as it were, be healthier, enjoy life better. So um, I'm, I've sort of been sold to the um, the communications and the sales aspect of Stoptober, go for it, your workforce will be better, your productivity will be better, they will feel um, uh, benefits of it within a few weeks in many cases. Fabulous. Yeah, absolutely relevant, I think. And I think it also ties in with the idea that uh, pale professionals are more in, 
involved looking at the data these days anyway, right? So absence days and things like that will, will, all impacts. Another bit of news as well, I'm sure many of you will be aware, but you never know, we do get people that come to this show that aren't familiar yet with the Chartered Institute of Health Professionals. Uh, if you are new to that organization, they're holding their annual conference next week on the 4th and 5th of September. So both Simon and myself, I think I'm on the same table at the awards, which will be fantastic with Jason Davenport. Uh, so I hope that you know if you, we'll be seeing as many of you at that conference as possible. And I guess it's a chance for me and Simon just to say, if you are there and you want to connect with us in person, please do let us know, drop us a message. Let's grab a coffee, let's connect. And um, hopefully we can, uh, we can see you at the conference and we can have a really good time enjoying the awards as well. It's a really good event to uh, to connect. And uh, now that everyone is back to face-to-face -face connections again, it's uh, it's an event I'm particularly looking forward to this year. So um, over at Celtic Manor as always. Um, so just to mention that for those of you who haven't booked your place or aren't familiar with the CIPP, uh, it's worth having a look at what they do and what they offer uh, and connecting that way within the Pearl Professional. I think it's cipp.org for those that aren't familiar with the with the URL. Um, next but not least, I've got uh, the HMRC standard for agents has been updated. Now, um, the standard sets out HMRC's expectations of all individuals and businesses who are tax agents. Tax agents are agents and advisors based in the UK or other countries who are acting professionally in relation to the tax affairs of others. So more tax related potentially than payroll. Uh, however, I think it's, uh, it can potentially have an impact on you all. So sections of the guidance has been updated to outline the expectations from both MHRC and agents. That's worth checking out if it impacts you. Uh, and of course, something which Simon may be familiar with, which is the HMRC self-assessment helpline has reopened um, after a three-month closure, giving taxpayers the opportunity to speak to an advisor, finally. Uh, so uh, I'm sure that's uh, that's been a very, very busy helpline, I should think. But finally, they can help callers again get some help if they need some support. Um, according to some who've attempted to access the helpline though, waiting times of up to an hour were the norm as, battle, as callers have been battling to reach advisors. Although the HMRC have said that the first phase of the process has helped its agents deal with over 250,000 additional repayments and that reopening the helpline is simply the next phase of the trial. Uh, any comments there for you, Simon? Yeah, it's a little bit um, controversial, really careful, I have to say, because, of course, we're all friends with the HMRC, aren't we? Absolutely. And we don't want to upset them. But, uh, yes, the, the agent side has probably been a little bit critical because, uh, on the one hand, they've opened one service. On the other hand, they've closed another. So, uh, so I think they're kind of rotating call centres around to different activity. So as the uh, self-assessment opens, I think the agent's helpline has uh, closed or, or been pulled back a bit. So uh, in, interesting times. It's a phenomenal task for them uh, at HMRC to handle the millions of calls they receive. And I'm sure we wish them all the best. Um, yeah, there's there's uh, comments that you see in the press. You don't know how applicable they are. It's sort of, they're all at home. Um, but uh, uh, generally I found them extremely helpful when you do get through, but I, say on average call times for myself when I call them it takes about 53 minutes to get the phone answered. Well, interestingly an HMRC spokesperson has said since they reopened that they've got their current average wait time down to 30 minutes whether that's true wow. or not let's wait and see but that's what the spokesperson has said so let's hope that's the case uh, because it can be frustrating waiting on those lines. Listen, let's jump into the key topics for today. 
Uh, the key topic, and if, if there's any, by the way, actually any recent news that we've missed, myself and Simon, please do put that in the chat box and the questions box. We can share that with everyone else that's listening. It's been over a month, so it could well be that we've missed something that you think, actually, we should have highlighted this and we haven't. So do let us know so everyone else who's watching today can also be made aware of any news we may have missed. Right. In the meantime, let's jump into parental leave rights. Uh, we're going to kick off here with the uh, changes uh, in rights in relation to neonatal care. Back to you, Simon. Yeah, sure. So the proposals, again, on neonatal care have been pushed forward. We don't have fixed dates, but it's an element of be prepared for neonatal um, to start. So there'll be statutory payments associated that we pay employees. These are for early births um, where babies had to be kept in hospital uh, for various reasons and uh, the parents may need more support. At the moment, they're limited to paternity and maternity as rights, and this actually extends because, of course, uh, the baby could be in uh, a specialist unit for a number of weeks and the parents needing some elements of extra support. So this brings in an element of protection to them. So I think it's a watch out. Uh, this will be starting uh, in the next uh, couple of years. Um, quite a change for us payroll wise, getting software ready and even the process and policies that you all have. But uh, and you may even take a stance that actually you'd want to because the, the rough boundaries of what neonatal care are known to a certain extent, what they'll cover. But do you as a business have a neonatal care policy in the same way you do for other statutory parental rights? I think that's all I'll probably say today. Uh, Richard, when he's back with us, I'm sure can share more of the detail of yeah. some of the specifics that come into play. So how about paternity rights? And what are the yeah, things we so look out for next year? Yeah, sure. So from April 24, there are changes to paternity rights. Some of you may have already been doing this, not realising that actually presently it's unlawful in relation to statutory paternity pay. But from April 2024, uh, um, the previous uh, conditions of paternity pay were that it has to be continuous. So you can have one week or two weeks continuous statutory paternity pay. Uh, you can't have one week, go back to work, have another week later. I know some employers have been applying that unofficially. Uh, that's not actually allowed in law. But from April 2024, it becomes the position that actually it's two weeks paternity pay rights and there can be a gap. And the extension of when that is taken is lengthened a little more. So I think it's look out for a little bit more detail when that goes through. But paternity rights from April 2024 are extended to allow split statutory payments and leave. Fantastic. Uh, and nothing else we need to be considering coming up. That's that's everything covered now until we've got Richard back for the moment. I think so. Um, there are a few things that have been motoring around and we have differences. If, if Lou was on the call today, we'd probably hear there are slight differences in Northern Ireland than there are from Great Britain, because Northern Ireland and Great Britain make up the United Kingdom. And some law is Great British law, as it were, and some law is Northern Ireland. They tend to align, but that's reliant on the various parliaments aligning it. Uh, some of these things are not devolved in Great Britain, so they're not taken care of by the Scottish and Welsh assemblies. But the Northern Ireland sets its own law, usually in parallel. They usually line up. 
but uh, there are elements of um, Northern Ireland actually extending beyond some of the great British rights. And as we've had a comment in the in the chat here that just says, um, I looked at neonatal care earlier this week due to the situation arising at work, and the latest date I saw was April 2025. That comes in from Jessica. It's kind of in line with what you were talking about. Super. Okay, so let's jump into the HMRC self-assessment then for student loans. Uh, we understand that thousands have been overcharged. This has been confirmed by the HMRC. Uh, Simon, what's the latest? Yes, it's a general um, uh, design flaw. I, you know, this is this is one of the areas where I get amazed as a, um, a systems analyst type background on IT systems, especially in payroll of thinking, what were they thinking of when they designed these things? And I'm sure some of you experience it now, but you may well be getting messages saying you've not applied a student loan and you look at the record and you think oh, that's because they don't turn enough. Uh, but that's because they may have a salary sacrifice arrangement or a pension or something like that. And that's because the HMRC, when they check the FPS records, are looking at taxable uh, gross values. But student loans isn't calculated on taxable gross values. It's calculated on earnings for class one national insurance. So it's on a different basis. So there's an element of they're not looking at the same thing. And some elements that may be taxable are not subject to class one. So that's expanded into the self-assessment. So um, one of the other representatives, I sit on a group called uh, Employment Payroll Group and also on the Share Scheme Group and also the Student Loan. I'm on the Collection of Student Loan Panel. Um, uh, I think one of the other representatives there is Ian Holloway that some people may know. Um, uh, Matthew Brown challenged them to say, they're seeing some issues with self-assessment that the correct amount is calculated in pay in accordance with class one one and then in the self-assessment declaration is asking for more and so there was an element of uh, hmrc were asked to look at that and they've discovered that they've been uh, looking at the taxable gross value for student loan assessment uh, which means that people have been sent demands for further payments to meet student loan through self-assessment in error because student loans are not assessed on taxable gross. They're assessed on class one employment earnings. So therefore, they've been overcharged. So as of this last week, um, letters have been started to be sent to these cases to say, oh, by the way, you have been overcharged your student loan. Uh, do you want a refund or do you want us to keep the money and offset it against your liability? They have the choice to do both because, of course, that reduces the interest charge, etc. For those, um, you, you think these days, Nick, will anybody ever pay off their student loan? But for those that would pay off their student loan, it would work out a little bit cheaper. Uh, and they're correcting the systems going forward. So big fault being found in self-assessment. It's using the wrong earnings basis as does the FPS for student loan calculations. Does that impact payroll? No, because you'll be doing it on the right calculations if you're using competent payroll software. For example, the SD Work solution uses class one earnings as required by the law. Fantastic. Okay, well, that's a pretty good uh, overview there. It's interesting. We're going to actually, I think it's probably time we get to. Uh... The audience involved in their first poll, uh, particularly we talked a lot about HMRC uh, communications today in relation to student loans, the helpline reopening, agents updating and everything else. So how clear do we find the HMRC communications? We'd like to know, do we find them clear and concise? 
a mixed bag or wordy and confusing. While we're waiting for those results to come in, if we can get everybody engaged in that, that'd be fantastic. We've had a question, oh, well, not a question, more of a, a, um, an observation pop into my chat box here that just says from Rifat Anwari, uh, I rang the HMRC and was on a call for an hour this week. And I rang yesterday as well, and they weren't even accepting calls. Well, of course, maybe not in, in, in not accepting those calls. That's what helps to get those uh, those average times down to, to just 30 minutes. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, thank you for putting the observation uh, into the, the questions box. Now, I know that another uh, 10 people have recently just joined the webinar mid-flow, so welcome. Uh, just to remind you all, if you have any payroll questions, do put them in the questions box. We'll try and access those and ask Simon in real time as we go. I'm sure with a... 110 plus of you on the show uh, watching today in real time. There must be some of you that have some payroll questions that need answering. Uh, so please, please do share them with us. Um, if you want to keep it confidential, that's absolutely fine. Just make that clear in your question. Uh, we'll still read it out and get that answer confirmed as best we can for you. So if you have any questions, put them in the questions box. Right, uh, let's have a look at some of these uh, poll results. Hoping we're getting some coming through here. I think we've had quite a few uh, responses. How are we looking? So just for those in audio only, if you are listening to this back, we've got 3% say it's clear and concise in relation to the how we find the HMRC communications. We've got 66% that say a mixed bag and 31% say wordy and confusing. What are your thoughts on those results, Simon? Um, yes, it, it'd be interesting to see the ones that are clear and concise maybe. But uh, <laughs> I, I think mixed bag is where it goes. But uh, some of it is wordy and confusing and we might discuss one which uh, i have actually been involved in looking at the revision of the wording which relates to the autumn uh, not the autumn the august uh, employer bulletin um they can be really confusing yeah yeah it looks like that's uh in line with what people think as well from exactly. watching it by the looks of things okay so let's jump into our next section then because this is uh, all about investment zones there are, of course, 12 investment zones. Uh, Liverpool and South Yorkshire are test beds for levelling up the strategy. Uh, and there's some information that Simon's going to share with you all about employers' national zone relief as well. Of course, on 9th of August, the HMRC advised the software developers of the new national insurance category letters to include in software from the 6th of April 2024, N, E, K and D. And these new NI letters would apply to the new investment zones that have been set up and result in employer NIC relief similar to existing employer relief. Uh, Simon is going to tell us more. Simon, over to you. Yes, um, investment zones are already in existence. So the investment zone national insurance relief for employers is already uh, sort of in real life. Uh, however, they've piggybacked on the um, Freeport uh, concessions. So the Freeport letters F, E, N and R have been used to this point. So potentially um, investment zones could have new employments created from April 2022. So already over a year. And if you did, you could use FENA or F, E, N, R as the national insurance categories. That changes in April uh, 24 when they actually have their own investment zone NIC categories, as Nick indicated, N, E, K, and D, or if you catch me on a bad day, I call them naked. Um, so, uh, uh, so probably a little bit flippant, but uh, uh, the naked codes are coming. Um, that will mean if you're operating free ports already, you'll have to move from the FENA to the naked codes um, in April. Um, there 
calculate exactly the same way as Freeport. Uh, my own plea in the consultations was just keep the same NI categories, but they've decided to do their own. The reason being, of course, is that Freeport's reliefs may close at a different time from the investment zone reliefs. But so far, though, they have the same pattern. So national insurance employers relief up to £25,000 worth of earnings for one year from the start of, well, actually it's three years from the start of employment. Uh, forget one year, that's veterans. Um, okay, and so looking forward to that. It'd be interesting to know, I've not come across any yet, but interesting to know if there's any employers actually operating free ports and investment zones that are in our audience uh, yet. You may have sub-departments that do, you just have an office that's now an investment zone, which, uh, but with, with the investment zone, that spreads it a bit further, uh, Nick, I'm thinking, because some of those areas uh, are covering uh, not, not a Freeport site per se, but uh, uh, a, a lump of uh, remote area of Britain, as it were. So, um, and employers yeah. may just find themselves there. Well, I've got a bit of uh, additional information as well, which uh, I've just researched in, in relation to this call before we started, where, as, as uh, Simon started with, there are already national insurance holidays, of course, that exist for employers where on payday the employer is under 21 or under 25 and not an approved apprenticeship or ex-armed forces, personnel veterans, and of course, employers or em employees of employers in, as Simon mentioned, freeport zones. Uh, the holiday relates to the amount of national insurance payable by the employer, not the employee. And we were talking pre this show today about different acronyms that, the, that we've been using, NECAD being one of the ones that Simon mentioned, of course. HMRC has called this new initiative Investment Zone Employer NICs Relief, or IZENI, I believe, which is the acronym being used on that instance. Um, I, there was another acronym I also found, which was called IZUST. Are you familiar with that one, Simon? IZUST? Oh, you might have been. Yes, the upper secondary threshold. Yes, oh, what a load of Yes. Uh, yeah, and it's odd, isn't it? Because um, the way they specify this in law is it's different to the Freeport upper secondary threshold, which is different to the apprenticeships upper secondary threshold, which is different to the under 21s upper secondary threshold. So we now have four upper secondary thresholds, except two of them are the same value and two of them are a different same value. Why, oh why, oh why, I don't know. Well, yeah, I do. Some... <laughs> There's some good crazy. knowledge. There's some very good knowledge you knew where that was. Uh, to give some yeah. context here, HMRC's March 2, 2023 policy paper gave more information and how the November 22 refocus changed things, specifically the value of the ISIST. Originally, it was going to be 50,270 per annum, i.e. the value of other NI holiday regimes, such as that for under 21s, apprentices and veterans. However, the new threshold, ISUST, will now be 25,000 per annum, the same value as the Freeport upper secondary threshold, or the FUST. We are going acronym heavy here. If an investment zone tax site becomes uh, operational before the 6th of April 2024, employers should claim the IZENIR using the Freeport NIC category letters instead, and then remember to change them to the relevant investment zone ones in April 2024. Uh, investment zones have been merged with Freeport zones, which Simon was mentioning, and renamed as special tax sites, i.e. the definition of sites where, the tax, where there are tax reliefs. The date on which tax reliefs for special tax sites end was originally the 5th of April 2026, but the end date has been reset to the 30th of September 2026, meaning that the eligible employee will have had to have started between the 5th of April 2023, so relevant now, and this date for the employer to claim NIC's relief, both reports and investment zones. Is that correct, Simon? Have I got that research correct? 
Oh, it sounds good to me, Nick. There you go. Maybe. We've had a couple I've of questions coming as well. Do you have any yeah. questions on investment zones? Uh, Simon, as you can tell there from his knowledge of uh, ISIS and other things, uh, is very knowledgeable in the area. So do, do put them in the, in the questions box. And I've got two that are unrelated to uh, this particular subject, but that's okay. Uh, the first is um, a quick check as my mind has gone a little bit blank. Uh, the, our business would like to issue a gift card to employees who won an award to the value of £245. I can assume, can I assume anything over £50, the whole amount, is taxable rather than the difference of the trivial benefit amount and the full amount of the gift card and therefore still needs to be reported on a P11D? Uh, yes, or you potentially could place it possibly on a PSA or PAY settlement arrangement if the employer wants to meet the liability. But in effect, uh, but a trivial benefit is up to £50. There could be multiples, just got to have a little bit of care. But if you've given £50 and a penny, it's no longer a trivial benefit. The taxable liability is £50 and a penny. So in your example, as it exceeds £50, the whole value is taxable. Um, uh, subject to other exemptions that there may be around, Nick, and going back to our disclaimer, because of course, not all vouchers are taxable, because childcare no. isn't uh, potentially in that same way or within certain limits. And there are other sort of uh, exemptions, but as a general principle, shopping voucher would be taxable. It would also be subject yeah. to class one national insurance. Have you ever asked yourself, how can I recruit payroll staff effectively? Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. I get the sense they, they probably knew your response anyway, but just want a little bit of a sense check, which is absolutely fine. So if you think you know the answer, still let us know. We can try and help confirm your uh, your suspicions are correct. Uh, the second question I've got has just come in a moment ago from Barbara, which says, I have a question about eye tests, please. All of our colleagues qualify for an employer paid eye test as they all use DSE. However, the HMRC guidance is confusing about whether reimbursement is taxable. We ask our colleagues to pay for the test themselves, then provide receipts from which we can reimburse. But I've seen different guidance as to whether this is tax or NICable or not. Any advice? Thank you. Uh, well, I've got, yes, this is where we say we can't necessarily give you tax advice because that's regulated activity. But we can give you some indication that this has certainly been a lot of discussion. And it's some uh, time, something that colleagues bring up regularly in the HMRC employment payroll group. And, uh, and it's why most companies operate uh, voucher schemes is a, a voucher for eye test issued, which is usually through some of the voucher companies that uh, at one time probably would have done lunch of vouchers or some miller vouchers, uh, etc. Is uh, it's very clean uh, that it's not taxable, but where the employee is meeting the liability themselves and being refunded, it changes the nature. So I'm not saying one way or the other, Nick. I think it's an element yeah. of the employer needs to look and consult because it's possible that you're actually making that 
uh, payment from the employee, sorry, employer to employee, which is cash earnings, so subject to tax and national insurance. And you don't want it to be. So you, because there are means to make the provision that it's actually tax free because employers have certain obligations to individuals, certainly those that work with, uh, um, I'm going to use the old terminologies because I think it's still there in the law, though the proposals look at it, visual display units that you have to provide um, uh, eye testing uh, capabilities to. So it's the nature of how you're settling it that may cause it to be taxable and suggest you look at more details. And yes, is it confusing? Absolutely is. Yeah, it is confusing. I, I hope that made uh, that that covers your question as best uh, Simon can, Barbara. Um, but yeah, thank you for raising it to our attention. Any other questions, please do put them in the questions box and I'll try and ask them as soon as we get through. So let's jump to our next section then today, which is what's the future of payrolls? That's a, quite a big question to delve into. Uh, we have some um, some context around this in relation to holiday pay in particular, uh, but what new developments should we be aware of, Simon, and why have we had this under the world of future of payroll? Yeah, and this is one really for the panel, wasn't it? It'd be great to have had Richard and Lou here and even Sam to talk about it. And, uh, and, and Nick, you'll know that I'll have some personal biases on some of this activity, but I sure. can give you some views of where I think the future was. Um, and this is uh, my dissertation in 2000 was written on the involvement of the internet in payroll. And at that time, the propensity for anybody to think that that was feasible was 9%. Okay, so 81% of payroll managers at that time would have said, no way is there any internet involvement in processing of payroll. Nowadays, if you look at the in internet involvement in the process of payroll, the reality is it's uh, probably 100%, or if it's not, you're still using paper and pen, um, or maybe, because, and even uh, we've certainly had situations with our own client base where they'd uh, probably quiz us and say, well, of course, you're not doing any of this via the internet, are you? And it's sort of, well, uh, you've been on it now for about 15 years, and yeah, absolutely, and we've never hidden it. And it's sort of, oh, you want a cloud-based solution that isn't on the internet. Do you know what these terms mean? Now, I'm, I'm being a bit um, uh, flippant there, Different. but it Plus can second. be a bit. Yeah, it can be. Well, it's, well, I remind you, some years ago, we had um, a breakdown of computer. I used to work for Sun Alliance, and they got an emergency box in uh, to replace the equipment that broken to keep the computer working. But it was orange and when the senior management came down and saw this orange back box amongst the blue uh, other boxes they immediately asked it to be removed not realizing what a fundamental part of the infrastructure it was and was only a temporary loan and sometimes i think we can come to those sorts of things is um, most things are delivered what's the future of payroll In, if i was talked about my dream at the moment we hear a lot about pay on demand i don't think pay on demand is uh, changing fundamentally payroll because it still fixes a cycle of activity. But um, my dream is to actually offer uh, flexibility so that um, um, I could change my payday uh, to when I want it to be. Similar as at one point, your mortgage would have all been taken out on the first of the month and you didn't really have a choice. These days, you can have your mortgage taken out on any day of the month you want doesn't mean you pay it daily, 
it's just you've chosen when to have the deduction taken and I think there's an element of we may well move into a world where I can choose to be paid weekly, fortnightly, I can choose to be paid whenever I choose and I can choose what the paid day is and that's the sort of thing that I would hope that technology would support. Now that may be seen as a, an element too strong or too far. Um, HMRC are actually consulting about pay advances at the moment. Uh, National minimum wage uh, team are looking at them because there are implications. Um, but uh, uh, other elements on payroll, I think, uh, you know, uh, certainly the, the access of information, how it transfers, how it integrates, how it deals with things is where I'd like to see the future. So you do something in one place, everywhere knows it's it's happened if you want it to. For example, change of name, change of address, change of details. It just woo, goes everywhere for you. Um, uh, that's sort of the dream of where I think it is. Now, other panelists would have had other more broad views. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm, I'm a million miles away from my own perspective. I, got, I, I guess I see the industry from a slightly different lens because I deal with payroll managers from different sectors sure. and different verticals every single day. And I get feedback, but I'm not obviously processing myself. I'm placing people that do that work. Um, I think one of the interesting things you mentioned, the Internet example, I, I recall, I think it was probably 2018, 2019, that there was a survey run by the CIPP that talked about the adoption of on-demand pay. And I think 86% said they would, it wouldn't be adopted in their business. And I think um, it'd be interesting to run that poll now. I, I think we'll see a significant change in those results. Whether that doesn't mean they've implemented it already, but I think the, the openness to adopting these, these ways of paying and these new evolutionary payroll processes now is, is much more um, broadly accepted that it's, that it's coming. And obviously, all the software providers that are working on different solutions under slightly different names to 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 accompany that that pay on demand kind of uh, appetite, I guess, because it's there, and it's certainly very um, very popular in other in other regions like the US, for example, as well. I think what was really interesting in your response, though, is everything you mentioned there was kind of systems related. I think the the future of payroll now is very much around automating, as we know, the manual tasks, but the, the payroll leaders of, of tomorrow are going to need to be system leaders as well and that's not just related to managing these these different systems as they all plug in through different apis and other things and then ensuring that data is accurate because bad data in means bad data out and we've got to manage those things correctly but also because there's loads of different systems now that do different things and i think that the the role of payrolls broadened significantly you know we're now involved in wellness we're now involved in the article i've just put in the chat which is about how payroll can get involved in diversity equity and inclusion um, and have an influence on, the, on those kind of things, things that I don't think ever, ever would have been in the, uh, the conversation a few years ago. Um, and that's all links to the collaboration that Payroll now has with HR and, and, and broader uh, stakeholders within the business as well. Um, but of course, within systems, we now have access to a lot more data and looking at how we can utilize that data more intelligently to drive strategic decisions, to improve performance, to improve engagement, attraction, retention, and all the different things, and you touched upon some of that data right at the start of the show, um, Simon, in relation to you know, absence data or looking at maternity trends or absence trends or sickness trends or whatever it might be, access to that data can be really, really valuable because they can drive decisions at a higher level. And this is where you can really get payroll involved in, a, in, in the conversation, uh, which is what a lot of payroll people want, you know, that, that board level, um, I guess, involvement. But I also think I say this with a little bit of caution as well, because I think, and I may be correct, and I hope I'm incorrect, I really do. But I think with the appetite for 
um, and awareness that payroll now has this data at their, their fingertips and the appetite for payroll professionals to really delve into that data and analyze it and utilize it does make it slightly more open for uh, those that are more uh, uh, or less criminal, shall we say, to uh, access that data, to hack that data, to try and target payroll professionals and payroll departments that uh, may may not have the security provisions in place to protect it correctly. Because I think it, data is now the, the most valuable commodity in the world if, you, if used correctly. And um, payroll has access to a lot of it. So I think um, with a word of caution, if you are you know, evolving your systems very, very quickly, always keep one eye on, on how you're protecting that data and making sure that it's, um, it's safeguarded. Because years gone by before the internet, as you mentioned, Simon, everything was locked away in safes. And I remember going to a particular service provider's office on a client visit, and I wasn't allowed into the payroll office at all. There were two, two locked doors before we were allowed into the main office because it was all so secure. Of course, then those days, it was all paper files and locked away. So to get the data, you'd literally have to break into the building. Um, now we just have to break into a network. So things have changed. Um, I absolutely think for the better. I think strategically, it's, it's amazing for payroll professionals. We're evolving very fast. Um, I guess the last thing I would add to how I see the future of payroll, everyone's talking about the future, the future, the future. I think often we um, we have great aspirations for what we want to achieve in one year, but we overpredict what's possible. And you mentioned pay on demand. It's coming, but it's not going to be here in every business in the next 12 months. But I do think we often underpredict what we can achieve in five years. And if you look back over the last five years to before the pandemic, and we see just how much the payroll industry has evolved and changed in that but it's still a relatively short period of time. It's been phenomenal. And we can talk about remote working, legislation changes, um, advances in, in software, data, and, and so on and so forth. So um, I wouldn't, don't be too ambitious in year one, but don't be surprised how far we come in, in five. That would be, uh, that would be how I'd, I'd view it. Any, anything you, you would add to that, Simon? Anything, maybe you disagree with something. I'm saying. Yeah, I'm exactly. Uh, well, we'll have different views on different areas but i think it's all being driven but the external main drivers are sorry the main drivers are external influence there aren't they i mean um i've probably thought that home working was a great idea since i did it in 2001 but uh, lots of people resisted it as being a bad idea um but it was forced upon us and i think yeah. on the whole it's worked out and there's an element of um maybe the inclusion of the internet in payroll was kind of forced by other stuff. We had the Carter review, uh, we had the introduction of RTI in 2013. Can you believe that? 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, that we were all forced into this new method. There's a question of where does that go in the future? I think it's one of the criticisms I kind of make in the representation groups is they keep on designing things based on a form that was used 40 years ago. It's kind of why? Start from scratch and think, what are you trying to achieve? So a dream, if I said HMRC wise, and maybe people will fall out with me over this is, get rid of the P45, get rid of the new starter checklist. You don't need them. Uh, there's an element of you change job or you start a new job, issue a, a share code, to your new employer. The employer puts in that share code, APIs through to HMRC. You know their right to work status, you know the national insurance number, you know their tax code, you know their previous earnings if it's applicable, all just filters through because you've got a share code. Don't have to collect anything because the employee has notified via, I don't know, their personal tax account app. Oh, by the way, I'm starting a new job. These are the circumstances, tick, tick, tick. Share this code with your employer. Give it to the employer employer just collects it. 
So there's no openness to fraud, filling in forms incorrectly, yeah. answering the questions wrong. Uh, it's sort of reduced down. So I think government is part of that push for modernization as well, because they're a key stakeholder in the payroll world. They're a third of the stakeholders, really, aren't they? I think the, the other thing that I've seen from a recruitment side standpoint is that um, it's other industries now, other business areas or, or entrepreneurs or whatever you want to put it, have suddenly identified, I say suddenly, recently identified payroll as being a real opportunity for profit. And to do that, of course, needs to develop new systems. I saw a report, I think it was about two years ago, by one of the software providers that said they valued the, the payroll, the global payroll software market at 35 billion. Now, when people realize that actually maybe this is a, an area within business that hasn't been modernized as much as perhaps other functions have been, um, and we always talk about our counterparts in finance or HR, which always seem to get the budget first, uh, so suppliers have kind of onto this and going, you know what, it, it, it's it's ripe for transformation. And with that comes a lot of development, a lot of advancement, a lot of investment, a lot of R&D and other things that come out. And, and we've seen a lot of new suppliers, um, you know, come into the market space that I'd never heard of almost from nowhere and grow very, very quickly. Um, so I'm not so much because they haven't quite grasped what payroll or the complexity of payroll really involves. And I think that's, um, I think it's testament to the fact that payroll now is very much in the public eye and, and, and certainly within the world of business, they understand the importance of payroll. So I think that's been a massive, massive step. Uh, I think while there's money to be made without being too um, you know, down on it, but while there's money available, they're going to see more and more solutions come to the market when there's a sale to be had. So I think um, sure. a bit like in my world of recruitment, I get pitched new software ideas and products every single day. And I think it's sometimes you want to buy every suite in the, uh, in the suite shop. We need to be a little bit uh, selective about what actually is going to add value to our business and uh, and utilizing and what we actually the outcome we actually want, which you mentioned a minute ago before we uh, we buy all the new shiny things. Now, I've also got here on the future of back to school holiday pay and prep for festive season. Have I got this out of date on uh, my records? That doesn't seem to correlate to on my notes, so I don't know where I've got that from. Uh, is that anything that relates to you, Simon? Have I missed something here? Yes, don't know. Back to school holiday pay. Mm. I'm trying to think. What that's about? Um, oh, that is this again about Brazil? Uh, yes, except there are consultations going on, so maybe that's what it's going about. I see. Because we had the Brazil case uh, last year, which relates to appeal court from two years before. Um, so, a couple of consultations on talking about um, options for rolled-up holiday even percentage schemes. Now, some people will get excited and think, oh, we're going back to the 1207%. I think you need to understand what the proposal was. Although that figure might be uh, there, it's about entitlements, not pay. Uh, so it's um, an element of that. So I think it's a watch this space because, and it has been in the press recently as well, because there was an article the other week about the frustrations of non-clarity on holiday pay law. In fairness to the government, they probably say, no, there is clarity on holiday pay law. It's as set out in the Working Time Regulations and the Employment Rights Act. The challenge is people don't want to comply with that, but they quite like the idea of some of the proposals. So it's an element of when are the government going to move forward with the proposals? Well, it's watch this space, we don't know. But at the moment, Working Time Regulations and Employment Rights Act. The other is an element of, uh, I think the item was actually, Christmas is upon us soon. So just a reminder uh, about uh, your limits, 250 pounds, holidays, gifts, 
turkeys, things are coming up, <laughs> that maybe it's an element of thinking as a payroll manager. Because if, you, if you're a payroll manager, like lots of payroll managers I know in businesses, you don't hear about the fact that the company has decided to do all these things for Christmas or other reasons until after the event when you're trying to figure out what you do about P11D, payroll, PSAs, and everything yeah. else. So it's sort of get in there, be involved in the strategic planning because some employers just do things not realizing the tax implication. And equally, there are other things if they knew about they'd have taken advantage of the tax advantages, but they didn't know they could. So it's an element of Christmas season and festive season coming about. Um, a couple of years ago, Nick, I think we're all in our Christmas jumpers uh, talking about this stuff, but we thought we'd raise it in October because December's too late. So yeah. Um, yeah. just to There's remind a chance you. also for payroll people to get the communication strategy right now, right? Get your comms out because there'll be those team managers that think it's okay to give bonuses and prizes and things away without any thought about the payroll consequences. So if you if you uh, if you navigate that early and remind everyone in your business what they can or cannot do, it might just make your own payroll process that much easier come Christmas time. So yeah, absolutely well put. And uh, it might feel early to everybody, but actually I don't think it's too early. I went into Tesco's and I've seen them already starting to put the festive stuff out. So if it's not too soon for Tesco's, it's not too soon for PQT. That's my view. Let's jump into the second poll. Um, I would like to know here today if there have been any dashboard difficulties. So we're back to the HMRC again, trying to get a flavor for or a feel for how things are going. Uh, how is the HMRC dashboard working out for you? It always balances, it never balances, or it's sometimes out. While we are asking all of you to put those results in, you've had a couple of comments in the questions box. We'll read those out as we go. The first is, I think it was in relation to why I saw that festive point on the on the slide, which Joanne's mentioned, it requires people to do something when they start a new job, uh, but so many people feel it is a payroll's job. Every month we get the question, why has my tax code changed? Can you put it right, please? Uh, as a common, I think it's a common thing that uh, most power departments have to suffer, unfortunately. Uh, but it's a, it's a good point well made. Um, Carrie-Anne has said, where are we with the car allowance and NIC case against the HMRC? Are you familiar with that case, Simon, and any uh, updates that you can share? Well, yes. Well, the, um, the case was won by the company. So potentially you can claim the national insurance reliefs on the 45Ps, et cetera, that uh, weren't necessarily... Uh, dealt with in, in that way because HMRC indicated previous you can't. So there is an element of lo logging your claim and progressing. So it's not a subject we focus on today, Nick. There are a couple of articles yep. around that um, we could probably highlight out at some point or even cover in more detail on the next session. But, but yes, there is a provision, recent uh, case where uh, the employer won and won the right to claim back or offset to get national insurance reliefs on uh, car payments, which previously Super. they were now, given. A couple of other questions come in. So far, we've got 49% of you have um, answered the poll. So we'll just wait a little bit longer to get everyone to vote so we get uh, the most uh, comprehensive results that we can. Keep voting if you haven't done so already, just so we can get that in there. We'll have some commentary on that in just a moment. Uh, next question. I have a holiday calculation question. We have a lot of hospitality clients who use voter systems which calculate holiday. If some systems haven't brought in the correct new holiday average calculations and the client gets audited by the HMRC, where do they stand on the calculations? Thank you. 
Okay, well, um, firstly, holiday pay is not an HMRC matter, so the HMRC won't get involved in it. Would the National Minimum Wage Team get involved from HMRC? They might, but again, holiday pay doesn't count for national minimum wage purposes unless it's being used for judgment points. So this is an employment law related matter. So the means of correction by an employee is through the employment tribunal um, uh, sort of system. So taking out an industrial tribunal case or uh, the courts. So the ET uh, has some time limit restrictions but uh, if uh, that they won't hear if out of time, but that doesn't necessarily stop an employee taking an employer to court uh, going back up to six years. So um, it's not an HMRC matter generally, unless we're talking about uh, national minimum wage judgments. But again, they're not there, excuse me, to judge on holiday pay. Now under the, um, um, oh, I've forgotten his name already, Nick, and the guy's reminded me, shows how Matthew, nervous we get on this, Matthew. Yes, on the Matthew Taylor. Taylor review, his proposal was for a single enforcer to be brought in, but the government have delayed the introduction of a single enforcer. So the, the, the single enforcer would have meant an audit team coming in, and if they found breaches, they could order the employer to take action. That's not going ahead at the moment. So it's left with being an individual case against individuals. Fab. Okay, cool. So I've got another question that's come in here. Question in relation to reduced employers' NICs in investment zones. Do we know where the investment zones are? And I think the answer is yes. There's a published uh, maps and list of them, but they're growing all the time as more and more get added. So the government do uh, produce um, uh, little map charts which tell you where the investment zones are. So if you did a little search or it's something um, I'm sure we could put on, uh, you know, SD Works have an information site. Um, the, the quick and easy way to get to it is just by typing in payhr.uk. Um, the long address is sdworks-payhr.co.uk but payhr.uk will get you there. Um, we could look to actually publish some links. They're not there now, but now it's been suggested we could uh, put some links there to help you find them easier. If not, Google. Fab. And last but not least, then we'll get these poll results. Thank you, everyone who's just got their votes in. Uh, Rashid, let's get the votes on the screen. I'll read it out in just a moment while I ask this question, uh, David, if that's okay. So last bit uh, from Jack. It says, not sure if anyone else has experienced this, but the HMRC seems to have rejigged all of the payments received to the wrong tax months, which then takes uh, which then takes them months to correct if they can do it correctly. Is anyone else, have you seen something you've seen, Simon, or... If anyone else is, um, has experienced the same, please let me know in the in the in the chat or in the questions. Uh, is that something you're familiar with, Simon? Uh, yes, fairly common. In fact, 31% of those that responded are probably finding that that's on that list, and maybe even the 63. It's fairly common occurrence. Um, you you think that after 10 years of RTI, it would be starting to balance <laughs> a bit better, but um, but I guess their investment funds are on other matters. Yeah, agreed. Right, let's have a look at these poll results. Uh, we've got a really all of you have voted, so thank you ever so much for getting involved. Um, for those in audio only, the question was dashboard difficulties. How is the HMRC dashboard working out for you? And the results were as follows. Always balances, 6%. Well done to you. Uh, never balances, 31%. And sometimes out, 63%. What are your thoughts on those results, Simon? 
Yes, it's interesting. I think they're in alignment with what I would expect, but not in alignment with what um, I may be led to believe by the official sources. Uh, the official sources tend to say that only 2% of employers have challenges. However, 2% of 2.4 million employers that we have in the UK now is a large number. And that may mean that you've got more than one employee. Uh, so it, it's more likely to hit those sorts of groups. So if you've got lots of employees, the more you're likely to not balance. But quite often it's portrayed as not being a problem. And one of the reasons I think we asked this was we believe there is more of a problem out there. And, uh, and uh, there's many a time I've gone to contacts and it says, oh, we've never had this problem uh, with any other employer. It's just this employer. And I say, well, that's interesting because this is exactly the same as the employer told you about last week, that you've never seen this problem with any other employer. Uh, I don't mean that to sound cynical because uh, um, to an extent, but uh, there is a reality of, um, I think, if you're experiencing problems, you're not alone. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Okay, well, let's jump back into the slides then. We've got some interesting announcements here from SD Works because they have a number of courses. If you're not familiar with the SD Works Academy, I suggest you take a look because we're doing an awful, they're doing an awful lot of work to promote the world of payroll, to promote knowledge in payroll, to raise the profile of payroll. Uh, some of the webinars I've been involved in myself, they are they bring some excellent panelists uh, to different courses, including, of course, our very own Simon Parsons. So some of the schools, uh, sorry, some of the um, courses to come, we've got the 2nd of October, hiring your first employee, the 4th of October, national minimum wage and introductions. Of course, both of those are next week, still time to sign up for both of those. 13th, we have parental leave and pay rights. The 16th, navigating employee relations. So share that maybe with your HR teams as well. 18th of October, payroll part one, followed by the payroll part two on the 19th. And then the 20th, we have payrolling benefits in kind. That's a really popular topic on the PQT. So if you do need some support understanding how to payroll your benefits in kind, that's a great one to sign up for. 27th of October, we have the gender pay gap reporting and ONS data. And the 31st of October, family family friendly policies just a reminder to everybody there's a discount code here which is ending soon which is back to school 100 uh, by all means take a screenshot of the uh, of this call if you like if you want to book this straight away or wait for the slides to come through but a couple of courses here you might be interested in signing up for indeed getting your team to sign up for and even if you can't make any of these dates i highly recommend having a look at the sd works academy uh, for the latest in payroll related resources it's an excellent hub of information for anyone wanting to get a little bit ahead in their knowledge in relation to payroll uh, right um, i'll leave that on the screen just for a moment in case people are interested in finding out a little bit more um, but while we leave that on the screen let's jump into pensions because a couple of pensions updates i think you wanted to let people know about simon i don't think we need that slide i think we'll leave the sd works academy slide up for the moment but maybe you can let people know about the pensions tax relief confusion that's been happening in the world of payroll and uh, hopefully we can straighten that out yeah sure so this is reference to the august bulletin in fact if you read the august bulletin it clarifies everything except it clarifies nothing so um uh, so let's cover from that some of this we'd have loved to have had andy nichols with it and i'm sure he'll be in our next session from the pension regulator he's got other commitments today so he's unfortunately not able to be but he'll be back with us and can cover so you'll get it from a non-pensions industry um sort of view but the employer bulletin referred to the fact that there's um over 10 percent of employers 
are getting their tax relief settings incorrect on the payroll uh, application. And this is a language issue. And one of the things I've highlighted out to the HMRC, in fact, I was speaking with them yesterday because they've asked me to help them a little bit with rewording, is they are now calling the relief at source scheme uh, not net pay, which is interesting because it says relief at source scheme. This is something along the lines of the employability. And it says the relief at source scheme is not net pay. And this is deducted after net pay. And you think if that's confusing, um, I can't think of wording it any more confusing than they've worded it. And equally, the the net pay net pay schemes is before tax. And so this is causing great difficulty because HMRC have used common language terms for things that mean the opposite to what common language tellers they mean, because they're talking from a tax point of view, not a payroll point of view. So net pay arrangement isn't because it's deducted from net pay, as some people seem to describe. It means it's the tax is deducted from the net pay. Yes, gross pay minus pensions, the net result you tax. So it's before tax. And relief at source seems to imply there's tax relief in the payroll application, where absolutely there isn't. There is no tax relief in the payroll at all. So relief at source means that they believe the amount has already been taxed, so it's after tax, but the pension scheme reclaims the relief back from HMRC direct. And as I say, 10% of employers, all sizes, are getting them the wrong way round. It's evident in the RTI FPS submissions and uh, lots of those. That's quite a sizable group if that's 10% of 2.4 million. Uh, that's 240,000 employers have got it wrong. Uh, there may be some significant tax bills to pay, uh, and liabilities uh, that are on the employer. It is a little bit confusing. Oh, it's totally confusing. Yeah, my plea, my personal plea to the HMRC, I've been making it for many a year, Nick, is that they change the names altogether and call them pre-tax or, or before tax and after tax. It would certainly it help. Before tax pension scheme, it would, except they probably use it the other way around and they say, oh, bef <laughs> but uh, you know that. Yeah. But before tax, after tax, MPA is before tax, RAS is after tax. Okay, Super. and uh, we'll see let's, where we Let's go. get the pension slide up if we've got it there, Dave. I'm just going to ask now, we've got another thing sure. I'm going to run through on pensions as well in relation to the auto-enrollment proposals, which Simon's going to run us through. Before we do, um, this is going to be the last opportunity for anyone to, to ask their payroll questions. We're going to jump from pensions into our final Q&A. So if you have any questions you haven't asked, it doesn't matter what that question is. If you, there's no such thing as a, a bad question. Maybe it's just to confirm something you think you already know, but just want some clarification. This is a chance to put it in the questions box. We can run through that before we close today's show. Um, and while we've got you as well, Simon, before we jump into auto-enrollment, I want to mention something that's come in from Karen that just says, I've lost count of how many clients we have, we have taken on that get RAS and NET the wrong way around, as you mentioned. So as well as a tax bill, again, agent bill as well to fix it. And if there's 10% of people, there's a good chance that nine or 10 people that are watching this right now might be in that camp. So um, do check, do double check that you're getting this right uh, to uh, avoid those double costs that Karen very kindly has pointed out may be coming if you don't. Okay, so let's jump into the pension auto enrollment proposals, Simon. That's, uh, what's that all about? Yeah, so there's a private members bill. This is all part of government policy as well. 
but it hasn't gone through in government time. So it's gone through under a private member's bill and it now has received royal assent. So that means it's enforced now. Well, actually it doesn't. It means that the concept of the bill is had royal assent and that uh, gives the government the go ahead to pass the uh, regulations that apply and set a date to implement it. So what are they? So they're probably not April 2024 although you could get surprised maybe in the autumn statement, but I don't think they are. But the age of pensions AE is going to drop. So that's dropping from the current down. So be aware that the age for a pensions AE will drop. And equally, the government proposal is that pensions contributions will start from pound one. So there is no lower threshold or earnings uh, the, the earnings trigger may well remain, but there is no lower threshold. At the moment, it's been frozen for the past two years. Prediction, if you just ask me what's the prediction for next year for pensions, the pensions lower uh, qualifying earnings threshold will remain frozen. So will the age, but 2025, 26, 27, one of those years, we're going to start them drifting down. Whether that's a cut by 50%, cut by zero we don't know but the bill has been passed and received royal assent to enable the government to implement um, pensions AE being extended to many more people excellent fantastic well um that pretty much closes today's show i want to remind everybody of the next pqt which is going to be on the 26th of october registrations will be open soon at sdworks.co.uk forward slash pqt uh, a reminder as well that uh, we released a new payroll podcast uh, episode today and i specifically mentioned that because it was in association with sdworks it was a part of a five-part payroll foundation series We've recorded four of the five um, parts so far. You may well have joined us on those live webinars. If you haven't, there's still time to sign up for the fifth part of, the, of that series. Uh, the first part was called Creating the Foundations for Payroll Success. And it does talk about the six key drivers that can lead to payroll project success in particular, uh, if you're trying to get your sort of people management ecosystem right within your business. So that's available today. Uh, it, was, it was recorded. It's a, a recording of the webinar that took place. It was hosted by SDWorks with myself. Um, there was a um, Bob Ray Hills involved, um, as was Adam from Lace Partners. So it's a really good episode. And if you're interested in creating the foundations for payroll success, then please do head over to either our website, jjrecruitment.com, to access that. Or it's available on all major podcast channels, including Apple Podcasts as well. And obviously that's in connection with SDWorks. And the, the rest of that series will also be published in due course. If you enjoy episode one, look out for episode two, three, and four, which will be dropping very, very soon. Um, it just uh, leads me to say a huge thank you to everybody for joining us today on the Payroll Question Time. And I look forward to seeing you all again on the 26th of October. Thank you ever so much, Simon Parsons, our resident payroll experts and encyclopedic knowledge of everything payroll. It's been a, it's been a good chat with just the two of us today. I hope there'll be a bigger panel next time. Everyone, stay safe, and I look forward to bringing you up uh, the next episode real soon. That's all for this episode of the Payroll Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today and gained valuable insights and inspiration to advance your payroll career or your payroll operation. 
If you haven't already, please, please do subscribe to the show so you never miss a future episode. And if you found this podcast helpful, please take a moment to leave us a little review on your preferred podcast platform. It's your feedback that really helps me to improve the show and of course, attract new listeners so we can continue to raise the profile of the payroll industry for all. Finally, if you know anyone who could benefit from this payroll podcast, please do share it with them. Let's spread the word and build a vibrant community of payroll professionals worldwide. Thank you, of course, for listening. My name is Nick Day. Please do look me up on LinkedIn and send me a connection request. In the meantime, I look forward to being with you again on the next episode of the Payroll Podcast real soon.